Have you ever met someone that just had a problem with authority? They just couldn't be told what to do or where to go or, or anything. Now, sometimes that's okay. Uh, scripture tells us that in the book of Acts, that the disciples ran into one of those instances where what had happened was they were uh, preaching in the name of Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the elders, some of the same characters we're going to look at today. Uh, they came to them and said, listen, you, you can preach, but you can't do it in the name of Christ. And the disciples said, listen, we've been told by God to preach in the name of Jesus. And here you're telling us not to. You tell us, is it better for us to obey man or is it better for us to obey God? And in that instance, it's okay to have, obviously, that rebellion against authority because you're serving that higher power. But frequently, many of us, we have a problem with authority just as it is. Even good authority, even God's authority. And maybe a, a Christian leader, a Christian brother or sister comes to us and says, you know, this is what I think maybe is uh, missing the mark in your life. And we just can't hear it from them. Because we want to do things our way. Because we've got this real problem with following authority. Now, Jesus was a man who I think the Pharisees would have identified as having trouble with authority. I think if you'd asked them, can you tell us something about him? I think they would have said, he's, he's got a real problem with authority. And Jesus here, obviously, is put where God's authority and, and man's authority are colliding. And Matthew sets it up in the entire book. And this is the book we've been studying here as we've gone through the series on the parables, the kingdom parables. And in Matthew, the very first time the word authority is used, it is said that Jesus is teaching, that the people start to marvel, and they say, oh, who is this that is teaching? He teaches as one who has authority, not like our chief priests and teachers of the law. Wow, how would you like to be the chief priest and the teacher of the law in the back of that room? There's a problem. There's this battle that is being waged between the authority and God's authority. And it continues throughout the book of Matthew until the text we're going to look at here, Matthew chapter 21. Well, it continues to Christ's death, as a matter of fact, but here I think it hits uh, its pinnacle. In Matthew 21, at the very beginning of the text, we see that Jesus has this triumphal entry. He rides into Jerusalem as a king. The people recognize him for who he is, for all of his authority. They throw their cloaks down and they say, Hosanna, and they praise him. And Jesus comes in like a king. And then what does he do in the very next story? It says he goes to the temple and he does what? He cleans out the temple. Now, for us, we've heard that story so many times. We think, oh, Jesus, he wanted to make it a house of prayer from the den of robbers. That, that's true, but there's something more to it than that. It's something that the Pharisees would not have missed, even though we miss it. You see, when the, the great kings of Israel's past came into power, kings like Hezekiah, they would see the temple in what? Disarray. And as the very first act of their kingship, they would go where? To the temple and do what? And clean it. Why? Because that was where they were going to worship. That's the God they were going to worship. And the Pharisees knew this. And Jesus comes riding in like a king, goes to the temple, cleans out the temple like a king. The Roman emperors did it too. They had lots of gods and they would go and clean out the temple of the one they decided they were going to worship. And so when Jesus comes and does all this, they realize that what's happening is Jesus is making this great statement saying, I have 
the authority of God. And here, chapter 23, we see that the Pharisees have finally had enough. It says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? You know, in our modern vernacular, we might say this. We might say, who died and made you king? And little would we know how right that question would be. Jesus said to them, he says, well, I'll ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John, did it come from heaven? Or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. They said, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, well, we're afraid of the crowd. For all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority am I doing these things. You see, Jesus was very wise. You'd expect that from the Son of God, I suppose. Jesus knew this was a trick. And he traps them really in their own question. You see, they had not ever recognized John's baptism. They had gone out to John. They'd heard him teach. And they had never uh, repented. They'd never responded to God. And so John knows, uh, Jesus knows that if they didn't accept John, they're not going to accept him. So let's just bypass this discussion altogether. But the funny part about this is while Jesus refuses to answer, he proceeds to answer in verse 28 via a story. He says, I won't tell you, but you got time. Listen to this story. He says, what do you think? Verse 28, a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And Jesus here is getting at who's got the authority of God. It's not the one who just says they do that, the, the works of the father, but it's the one who actually does the work of the father. Uh, the Pharisees respond. They get it. Uh, they said the first, and Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. And I think we ought to pause because we read verses like that so frequently. We need Eugene Peterson's language to just shock us back to the boldness of Jesus' statement. When Eugene Peterson translates in the message, he says this, he says, Truly I tell you, the uh, crooks and the whores are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Or fight words. Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 32 says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw him, you did not change your minds and believe him. You see, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He's calling out the chief priests. He's calling out the Sadducees saying, you know, you make a great show that you're so obedient. You say you're obedient, but every time you do something, it's like you've just taken a playbook on what not to do to please God. You're focused on sacrifice. When he said, what I want is obedience. What I want is your heart. What I want is your allegiance. And so Jesus is saying, because you say it, it doesn't make a difference. We know your heart by what you do. By what you do. And it's so easy to pick on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
because they're not around anymore, right? I mean, how many of you know a Pharisee or a Sadducee? You had lunch with them this week. No, you didn't. You don't know them. And so we can say all sorts of evil things about the Sanhedrin. But you know, as I thought about this text and really, really labored on this one this week, I thought, well, how do we do that? And I thought about last week's sermon. You know, there's some weeks where I really I get this sermon and it's prepared and it's crafted and I go, man, this is going to be a home run. It's going to be huge. The people are going to respond. It's going to be amazing. And then as we're walking out the door, people say stuff, you know, encouraging things like, that was pretty good. But, you know, there's always next week. You know, next Sunday. You'll be here next Sunday. Give it, a, give it another shot next week. It wasn't that bad. You know, then you kind of go home and you're like, man, what's happened? And then there's other weeks where I'm like, wow, this sermon, it's, I fought over it. It's hard. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's what I should say. I just don't think people are going to respond real well. And then that's the week everybody's like, wow, my goodness. You've really been in touch with the Spirit this week. And I have to say, well, man, I must be the Spirit, not me, because I thought this was going to be a dud. I mean, I can't say that to you, but I mean, that's what I'm thinking in my mind, right? And, and last week was kind of one of those weeks. I thought, I didn't think that this would really go over that well. And so many of you came to me and you said, wow, that really convicted me. I felt so challenged. For those of you that weren't here last week, we were talking about letting go of the stuff that traps us. We looked at the rich young ruler, the parable of the camel, going through the eye of the needle, real needle, real camel, put the two together. It doesn't work. We talked about how one of the best ways we can let go of the stuff that keeps us from going where God says to go is by giving, by tithing. It's by being obedient to Him, by allowing God to control us and not the stuff we've got. And so many of you said, man, I'm really challenged by that. I appreciate that word, but let me ask you this question. What have you done about it? It's been seven days now. You've had a week. What's different? Do we just sit in the pew and we say, Amen? We, we, we say, I go, sir. And nothing is different. Nothing changes. And Jesus says, Listen, it's one thing to say you're going to be obedient, but it's another thing to be obedient. Which are you? Which are you? As though this first parable wasn't quite offensive enough, Jesus proceeds to tell yet one more. Uh, Verse 33, he says, hey, listen to another story. Did you like that first one so much? Uh, There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. Now, people might allegorize this. The truth of the matter is, is, is Jesus is saying the tenants, they had everything they needed to be obedient. They had everything they needed to do the task before them. This is, then he leased it to tenants, went to another country. When harvest time came, he sent his servants or his slaves to the tenants to collect the produce. But his tenants seized the slaves. They beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And so he sent other slaves, more than the first. And they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us get his inheritance. And so they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death. 
and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the produce at the harvest time. Wow. It's interesting to me that it's really kind of the same story between the two. There's somebody in authority tells people to do something, and then you get different responses. Response one is simply no. No, I'm not going to do it. Father asked one time, will you go? No, I'm not going to go. Leaves it alone. This one's a little different. He sends multiple slaves. He asks multiple times. He says, will you give me what rightfully belongs to me? Will you honor me with what I've already given to you? And the answer for the first time is no. And then it becomes increasingly more hostile, more aggressive. Now, Jesus obviously is telling the story about Israel's history, about the history of the leaders, about the history of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the elders. Because he had sent his servants, those were the prophets, to tell his people what it was that he wanted. And they take them and they they seize one and they stone another and they killed prophets. And Jesus says, and let me tell you prophetically what's going to happen. God has sent his son, that's me. And you're going to cast me out and I'm going to be murdered. That's what he's talking about. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, it's interesting that you might get convicted one time of something. And if you get convicted one time of something, you might say, you know, something like, yes, sir, or go, or, or amen, or I'm, I'll do it. Or you might be honest enough to say, no, I'm not going to respond to that. You, you might be that honest. But, but if you get asked again, what is your response then? You know, last week, maybe you felt convicted to, to do something. And then here we bring it up again this week. And you go, I already said no once. What are you asking for again? Maybe this has happened in your life personally. Maybe you have had a brother or sister in Christ come to you and say, you know, I've been looking at the way that you you speak to your family, and I don't think that's glorifying to God or helpful. You kind of say something like, mind your own business, leave me alone. Or maybe he says, you know, I don't don't think that maybe the way you conduct business is necessarily God-honoring. And you go, you know, it's really none of your business what I do. Or maybe, you know, we're not violent people here in the church, right? Because, you know, that's not what good Christian people do. And so we might not like cast people out and, and kill them and stone them or beat them, any of those types of things. But, you know, how many times have we been at churches or we've heard people talk about this where, you know, they were at this church and maybe the preacher started talking about some finance type things. And, you know, first they said no. And then they said, you know, what are you bringing us up for again? And then a third time this happened. And then finally what happens, they leave and they go, you know, the only thing they ever wanted to talk about was money. What was the problem? Was it the church interested in money or was it that they couldn't handle the conviction? And so whether it's a church or a friend or a brother or sister in Christ or maybe a Sunday school teacher, we just kind of shut them out and we say, you know what, leave me alone. And we shut that off and we say, you know, I'm going to have nothing more to do with you. That's kind of what happens when the Spirit keeps prompting us, whether it's through people or the Spirit or God's Word. We finally come to this point of hostility where we said, I I told you to leave me alone. And that's our response. That's where the Pharisees were. Jesus has called them back to repentance yet one more time, and they eventually are going to do exactly what He says. They're going to take Him outside, and they're going to murder Him. Now, I know we don't have a vineyard. I, I mean, as I look around, I don't think any of you own vineyards. Maybe you do. Um, and I know we're not like the chief priests and the Sadducees where maybe you're in charge of a nation. I don't see anybody in here that I know is in charge of a nation. But God's given us other things. 
He's put other things in our trust. He's given us gifts and talents, and He said, you know, I want you to use those inside of the church. And, and we hold on to those gifts, and we say, no, that's, that's my gift. That's my talent. I've honed it. I've used it. I've worked it. It belongs to me, and we refuse to share it. Or maybe it's time, and we say, you know what? I don't have enough time as it is. Why would you think that I should give any of that to God? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. Or, or maybe, you know, it is money, and we say, you know what? I've worked too hard for it. Belongs to me. I'm not going to give any of that. It could be any of those things where God would call us and we would say no. Last week we looked at how stuff sometimes does hold us back. This week it's a different problem. It's not the stuff, it's our own stubbornness. It's our own problem with authority. God says, do this, and we say no. We say no. But what's happening? Well, verse 42, Jesus gets at this. He said to them, He said, Have you never read in the Scriptures that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, you may reject me, but God is going to use me. You may cast me off, but God is going to build His kingdom with me. Therefore, verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one on whom falls the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized he was speaking about them, and they wanted to arrest him. Why? So they could fulfill the prophecy. Little do they know. But they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. You see, what Jesus is saying is, is the person that has the authority is the one who does the will of the Father. And who's the one that does the will of the Father? It's him. And what is God doing? God is doing something amazing. God is doing something brand new, the text says. He is building his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? We've talked about this. It is any place where the rule and authority of God is accepted. And so if you're a believer and you've accepted the rule and the authority of God, then you are part of the kingdom of God built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That is what the kingdom of God is. And Jesus says, if you cannot accept that authority and if you cannot accept my rule, then the kingdom is going to get built around you, on top of you, over you. And we look at that and we think that's kind of harsh, but really it's just a description of the way it is. Jesus has said, God is going to build something. The question for you is, are you going to be part of it or not? I thought about building this week. and One of the places that they're always building in town is up on the hill, up at Western. You know, WKU is always building things. Was it some social event? Or I heard it on the news that Dr. Ransdale, he was joking. He said, you know, we're going to replace the Hilltopper mascot with a crane. Uh, not like a, like a bird crane, but like a building crane. You know, those giant you know, aerial cranes that lifts things and constructs buildings. You know, that, that would maybe be accurate. I mean, if you've been up there, there's always new buildings. It's like they water them and they just, they just grow. They get big. And I thought about, you know, what happens? You know, usually they move into a neighborhood where what? There's a bunch of houses. Some of them are condemned. Some are run down. And so they, they buy out that lot or the city gives it to them or whatever happens. And so then they bring in what? They bring in bulldozers and they just level all that stuff. And then they, they pour a foundation, they build a brand new building. Now, let's say, for some reason, we really cared about one of those houses. And so, as a group of concerned citizens, we chained ourselves to each other, and we chained ourselves one of the rotted timber posts on the front, on the front porch, and we said, no, we're not leaving, and you're not going to tear this building down. Now, what's going to happen? The sheriff's going to come, 
and he's going to bring himself some bolt cutters, and he's going to bring himself enough cars to put all of us in the back seat, and they're going to cut it up, and they're going to throw us in the back seat of the car, and we could go to jail, and then what's going to happen? Well, then the bulldozer's going to come, and it's going to demolish the house. Now, we're smarter than that, aren't we? And so instead of staging this public protest, we say, you know what? We're going to do a stealth protest instead. And so late under the cover of darkness, we know the next morning the bulldozer's coming. The bulldozer's already there. And so we sneak past the sign that says this house is condemned. It's going to be torn down tomorrow morning. We crawl under the barbed wire, past the yellow caution tape. We go into the crawl space of the house because they'd find us in the main part. We go into the crawl space of the house and we just all lay down and we say, they're not going to destroy this building with us here. We're going to show them. And then in the morning, we hear the diesel engines start. And that's the last thing any of us would ever hear is the diesel engine starting. Because what's going to happen? They're going to build right on top of us. Is it personal? No. Whose fault is it? Well, it's mine. Why? Because I chose to ignore all the warnings. They, they, they went to great pains to say, if you stay here, something bad's going to happen. And yet we've got a problem with authority. God's authority, their authority. Nobody can tell me not to be there. Nobody can tell me not to be in that house. Nobody can tell me not to do that. And we just have an issue with it. And so we go. We ignore it. Sometimes we even wink and smile at it. Henry Blackaby tells a story about the very first church he was at. Uh, There's this family, a young family, had the very first baby that was ever born in that congregation. She's three years old. And he said this family had this, this weird habit of laughing at her disobedience. And he, he recounts this, this story. He says, you know, when they told her to stop, she would run. When they told her to sit down, she would stand up. When they told her to come, she would go. And they laughed at it. They smiled at it. And I thought it was funny until, as time would have it and and reality had it, one day the front door got left open and the front gate got left open. And this little girl goes right to the curb, is stuck between two cars that are parked, and the parents see another car barreling down the street and they say to her, stop, come here. And you can figure out what happened. She turned and she ran, was struck, and killed by the car. You, you see, what happened was that by smiling at disobedience, they set her up to they set her up to die. And, and you know, it's, it's a hard word to hear, but it's it's so true. Jesus says, listen, I'm doing something new. God is building something brand new. And if you want to be a part of it, you've got to accept my authority. You've got to accept my word. And if you don't, we're going to build a kingdom anyway. It's just going to get built right on top of you. Don't let that happen, Jesus says. This is how you become part of kingdom except me our worship team is going to come forward and as we do every week we give give folks the chance to respond in obedience to god's word
He calls us to Himself. He calls us to respond in obedience, to accept Him, to receive Him. And this morning, as we sing this song, we'll invite anybody that needs to receive Christ to come. To come forward and to accept Christ, to be baptized into Him. Uh, This time of decision, we open up also for those that need to make a commitment to the church or perhaps anything that you feel you need to surrender. And we, we give this time to you. Please use it. The absurd part about both of these stories is the amount of patience that's there. The father has a son who tells him no. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of parents that take kindly to that. And in that day and age, the, the son says no. And what happens? The father says, well, you're out of the inheritance. I mean, in my house, if one of my kids ever go feed the dog or go do this, no. Well, go sit in your room until you figure out what to do. And you know, God says that to us all the time, and we misunderstand His grace and His patience for His weakness. Please don't do that this morning.